Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, the last laugh is on a much-needed vacation this week. But with the Emmy Awards coming up next weekend, I wanted to repost the fascinating interview I did with comedian Rami Youssef last year, just before the first season of his show Rami was about to premiere on Hulu. Since then, his career has just absolutely taken off. Rami surprised pretty much everyone watching by winning a Golden Globe in January for that show's first season. Now he's nominated for two Emmys for the second season, Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series and Outstanding Directing for a Comedy Series. The great Mahershala Ali also scored a Supporting Actor nom for his incredible performance as Rami's Sheikh. When we talked last April, Rami was just about to fly out to Chicago to tape his first hour-long special Feelings for HBO. Here he is talking about his family's unlikely connection to Donald Trump. So I grew up with this photo in my living room of my dad and Donald Trump shaking hands. I saw it every day as a kid. And when you're a young Arab kid, anyone who's friends with your dad, like, that's your uncle. <laughs> and the last couple of years I'm watching TV and I'm just like, Uncle Donald? <laughs> So I hope you enjoy this conversation and we will be back next week with an all new episode when my guest will be, wait for it, Polly Shore. We're just a few days away from the premiere now. How are you feeling? I'm excited, man. It takes so long to go from even thinking of the idea to then pitching and doing the, the whole process. It's just like years. And the fact that finally people are going to get to see it is really cool. It's, it's also kind of surreal because I do stand up. So it's like stand up, you do it, you have an idea in the morning and then you go up and you get a reaction. With this, it's like the laugh comes two years later. <laughs> yeah. How long has this been in the works, Rami, we should say, on Hulu? Well, I think this incarnation of the show the first document that i kind of put together for it was uh, probably like november 2016 so it, it's it's a couple of years but that's actually fast even for tv yeah and i know gerard carmichael your fellow stand-up is involved in yeah. some way so was he involved early on or, or how did that kind of happen that 2016 fall i was opening for gerard on the road oh nice he was prepping his HBO special, and I had acted when I first moved to L.A. in the multicam on Nick at Night. It was like a, a family yeah. sitcom. And so I had had multicam experience, and I love multicam, and he obviously does too. And so we had early on kind of daydreamed a block of like the Carmichaels and the Yousefs, and, and we <laughs> kind of like do a back-to-back. But then I started putting together what I wanted the show to be, and it became pretty clear like, oh, this isn't going to work as a multicam. <laughs> this is, we're going to need a little bit more flexibility tone. Yeah, I think his show is kind of a rare example of multicam in this modern time that, that really did work. And But yeah, that's definitely hard to pull off. So once you started putting it together and, and deciding that it was not going to be a multicam, what did you want it to be? What were the sort of the earliest like ideas of, of what this show 
what the show would look like? Well, I knew that we kind of are a little bit in the era of like a of dramedies in a sense. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that I liked the idea of it being grounded, but I also didn't want to forget that it should be funny. Right. And so it was like, how do we create that vibe, but not forget the jokes and not shy away from the jokes? Like, it's okay if something's just straight up funny. I think a lot of the more dramatically set shows that come from comedians or that, you know, have that perspective or they really sometimes feel, I don't know what the reasoning is behind it, but I'm always like, oh, I wish there was just like one or two like straight up comedy scenes in here. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that tonally we wanted to play in that space. And and then I knew that I wanted to make something that um, reflected more of my experience. Like I, I wanted something that had a first generation kid who isn't trying to erase the culture and faith that he comes from, but is actually trying to synthesize it and have it be a big part of his life. And so that was really the voice for the show that I knew worked in stand up and I knew we needed to to have on TV. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting you say that because I've seen all, I've been lucky enough to see all 10 episodes of the show um, and really, really loved it and it's hilarious and it's also really dramatic at points but I think the thing that that's so different about it is that it is this depiction of what it's like to be you know Muslim this age in right now that we haven't seen before so how important was that to you in terms of showing that on screen and, and having that representation out in the world yeah it was super important I mean like I wanted to make something that showed you know this is like an Arab Muslim family in New Jersey it's pretty limited in terms of what it's showing, mm-hmm. you know? There's not really, like, a Muslim community, right? I mean, there's so many different cultures. Right. and I mean, most Muslims in America are black, you know? And so it's like, really, this is a limited look at this kind of family, at this kind of guy. And it was really important to me to show something that had some sincerity of somebody trying to adhere to their culture and their faith, because that's how I feel in my life, you know? There's what I believe, and then there's what I actually do. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a space in between that. And, and, and what I actually do, I don't don't think is it's not like I think that's right but you know it's it was really one of the earliest conversations I had with Gerard because Gerard and I were friends for years before we worked together we would just talk about faith and you know he's grew up Christian and and believes in God and and I grew up Muslim and and believe in God and we were like but you know there's never anything that shows the way we think about God where there's this guilt and there's this thing rattling in your head and and you want to do the right thing but we're also just like everyday people and and most depictions of anything religious are like the priest who does cocaine or like the blown out version of heaven with angels and like a comedically long piece of paper with all the good deeds and bad deeds you've done and these things that are like removed from reality and so it was like really exciting to be like, okay, what does it look like the way we think about it every day? What does it look like to just be someone like me and I'm just really overthinking this relationship and it's not just because of her, it's because of what I believe. And where does that fit into the narrative? That was a big goal for me. I want to know who I am. I want to explore. You're like the kids in Egypt. They throw down the government. Big revolution. Then what? No plan. I don't know what I'm doing, man. I look at my parents and how strong they are and how they just know everything's going to be okay because they have God. And yeah, I have sex even though I'm not married. Where are you going to go? So what? Is that, that means I'm not a good Muslim? I'm just, like, trying to be good. You jerk off too much. 
Does it, it's it's funny that you mentioned having Gerard as someone else in the comedy community who believes in God because I think people think that almost comedians as a whole are this atheist community. It's a very yeah. you know non-religious community in a lot of ways. Has it been hard for you to be religious and a comedian at the same time? Yeah, I mean church is a punchline. Like yeah. you could put that at the end of a joke. And it's like then I took her to church. Like <laughs> like that sounds like a joke, you yeah. know, from somebody. And and I get that. And and I religion as a force and as a industry and as a presence has done a very bad job. I think that the communities around pretty much all of the major religions have done a good job of fucking it up. Mm -hmm. And so I don't blame people for the way that they feel. And I don't think that it's all executed properly. I don't think, but I also don't think it's all understood properly. And so for me, so much of what was exciting to figure out on stage was I would say I believe in God and, and it's not like it would be hard but it would be weird like mm-hmm. like to just be like no I genuinely do and, and, and you just and it's like you're at a bar in Brooklyn and everyone's like well why, why are you here you know like yeah. like there's like this this odd thing that happens I mean I remember like just being on lineups where people were talking about the craziest shit man like oh, I took acid I did this I did that and it's hilarious and then I'm like yeah I'm fasting for Ramadan and you know because I want to and not because my parents made me and and, and it's just kind of like, oh, okay. Like, like that's, yeah. you know, awkward. It's like some is like, is this punk rock? Like, it's very, um, so it, I wouldn't say it was hard other than more, it was just different. And ta- trying to talk about it in a way that um, can hopefully just bring a little bit of levity to it and understanding to it. But I'm also not like in the business of being like, believe this, or we, it's not even so much dissecting the religion. It's, it's really, it's dissecting my own intentions within it. And so I think if something's self-reflective, the umbrella it's under is just the first layer. So you don't even, okay, fine, you're not Muslim. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's, it's just like, are you somebody who thinks about what you're doing and if that's right or wrong? Are you somebody that wants to be somewhere that you're not? Are you somebody that is trying to figure out, you know, the best way to go about being a person. And and that stuff sounds vague, but it becomes really specific once we put it under this umbrella. And that's my approach. Yeah, I mean, and those are all the things that your character, Rami, is dealing with in this show. And I think the question with a lot of these, there's been a lot of shows where comedians play themselves from, you know, Seinfeld to Louis to Gerard and all these people is the question is, how close is that character to you? Yeah. So, I mean, how did you kind of deal with that? I mean, this character doesn't drink, is struggling with with whether to have premarital sex, you know, all these kinds of things. Does that really mirror your life? And how much of yourself did you want to, were you like, was that scary to put that on, on screen yeah. in that way? It's definitely scary. I mean, it's it's interesting, like, the reality is, for me, I am a creative person. You know, I've been in the comedic world or in the world of making things and using making things to express my feelings. I've been doing that for, like, 10 years maybe a little more. So that's always been the way I process things. So I think Mm -hmm. because of that, I've been able to be more in touch with my feelings and kind of have solutions and, and understand what's going on with me. But I wanted to create a character that could have been my life if I didn't have the ability to pursue those things. And so what would it look like if you didn't have that outlet? I think I would be a little bit more stuck. Mm -hmm. And so this show and the character in the show, I think all the emotions are really true. They're all things that I felt and they're all things that I've been through on a level, but we take them to a place that my real life 
wouldn't have really allowed because I kind of knew how to deal with it. And I have a family that's really communicative and I have a, you know, a really strong support system in my family. And there's very little that I feel like I couldn't tell my parents if I had to. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanted to put this character in a place that was just a little less developed and a little less open that I, a place that I know a lot of people are at. And so that was the choice in not making him a comedian. That's the choice in kind of having him be a this stuck place a little bit more and and that being kind of a more fun place to grow out of. I noticed at least one review comparing uh, the show to like as if it's a, a Muslim male version of Lena Dunham's Girls. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> and uh, I'm curious what you what you think of that as a comparison. Oh that's really funny. I think I watched the first season of Girls. I thought it was really good. So that I, I didn't I didn't keep watching, but mm. I, I not because I didn't like I just you know there's so much stuff. But I um, oh that's cool. I mean I think maybe that comes from you know I remember watching that pilot. I think it's a really good pilot. Yeah. It's a really good pilot. And I think it was it was like, oh, man, you're watching people have conversations that you kind of knew they were having, but now you're getting the real details of them. And I do feel like our show can do that. I mean, a barometer that I've always had is like, okay, so we're in Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this want for diversity. And let's say you've been banging around Hollywood for like, you know, 10, 15 years. You are a really good white dude writer. And, and at this point, you were kind of like, you know what? There should be a show about Muslims or there should be a show about Mexicans. And you're a smart writer. So you could probably write a show that is your idea of what you think a Mexican family talks about or a Muslim family talks about. It'll be structurally sound. It could be funny. It uses human dynamics that like everybody uses. So I would put my show always through that filter, which Mm -hmm. is like, could that guy in Sherman Oaks Mm. write this scene? Like with what he kind of knows from the outside, like could a really good writer like write this scene in my show? And if he could, then we don't need it. Like I can only write things that only somebody who's me could write or only someone from my community could write. Can you think of an example from the from the series where you where you said, oh, only I could write this? Yeah, I mean, we have a whole scene about foot washing at the mosque and the intricacies of, of doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a, a lot of what I think are um, really amazing moments between, you know, in, in even we have an episode with my sister where, like, we really get into the guilt of being a Muslim woman and the pressure that's put on you. And, and there's a lot of specifics in there. And there's a lot of specifics in our Ramadan episode. You really going to be one of those Ramadan Muslims, okay? You can't be jerking off all year, then all of a sudden turn into Malcolm X. Thank you, Rana. Habibti, Here you go. Sahatan. Enjoy that. How long ago Look, order, it's man. all about intention. You place your order before sunup. You're fine. Islam Oh, here you go, all right? By the way, all that app shit, most of it is garbage. How do you think they did it? Back in the time of the Prophet. Look at that. That's how they did it. That's real Muslim right there. That's old school. Walk out, sun's up. Hey, guess what, guys? Don't eat. Sun's down, eat. It's very simple. You don't have to complicate things, right? He knows what I'm saying. Mm. Is it time? Too much light pollution. Can't tell if it's the sun or that new target that opened up on 17. That shit glows, man. So I stopped eating an hour ago just to be safe. Like, I think an outsider Ramadan episode would be, oh, man, I'm hungry. This isn't really about that. This Mm -hmm. is about a whole other type of hunger and a whole other type of struggle and really 
pushing the show to those places where it just feels, I want it to feel as tailored to my actual, you know, thought process as possible. And I think that's what's amazing about a show like Girls, which is like, oh, no, only these girls could have written that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what was so cool about it. It's like, oh, yeah, no one could have fucking guessed this conversation. You know, like maybe we had an idea, but like, wow, it's so cool to see the details. Yeah. And that show specifically got some criticism for being too white, not diverse enough. Mm-hmm. And what I always thought about that was they were reflecting a reality of those girls in Brooklyn, you know, having this very white life. Yeah. So for them to falsely fill the show with diverse actors may have may have taken away from the realism of it in some ways. Absolutely. I mean, I think like there was almost something about that critique that even would push me to like name my show Rami. Like I don't like I don't want I, I didn't run to be like, oh, I want to name it after myself. Mm-hmm. But it was also like I can't call this Muslims. Right. You know, because it's not. Yeah. Again, this is Arab Muslims in North Jersey and maybe only one type of family in that yeah. place, you know? And and so I think the criticism of something like that is more so just the umbrella where it's like maybe that show should have been called Gentrified Williamsburg. Yeah. And then that, then it would have been like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, not trying to be so universal. Yeah. So going back to that, you know, your specific story, can you talk a little bit about where you grew up, what your childhood was, was like? Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. I was born in New York, but we moved to Jersey early. I was in like first grade. And um, I love New Jersey. It's a really amazing place. I mean, we our town was pretty diverse. I mean, we were I think we were one of very few Arabs. There was like one other family, maybe two other families. But I, I still felt like this bond with like Italians. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, we're this like you know we're the same you know. But but then the big difference to growing up is like this uh, lack of Christmas is horrifying you mm-hmm. know as a Muslim kid. And my best friend growing up was Jewish because I really think because we both didn't do Christmas, it was just kind of like, yeah. dude, we're in this together, like we're <laughs> in this shit together. But I really I loved growing up there, and and it was um, both my parents are from Egypt, but they met in New York, mm-hmm. which is like very representative of my family, which yeah. is like we're people who will take a risk to go across the world but also once we get there we need the most familiar thing possible <laughs> so there's this this half like massive risk bravery and then the other half like but let's make sure it's like you know what we know <laughs> yeah and when did uh comedy come into your life did you love comedy growing up did you have people that you particularly uh loved i didn't know a ton about comedy other than my uncle showed me Carlin really early. Mm-hmm. I was probably like nine or 10 and I was listening to Carlin rant. And I thought it was so funny because my uncle speaks in probably like a very similar comedic voice to George Carlin. Like he can just go on a rant on something mm-hmm. and like, and it's funny. Like he's like the funniest person I know. Yeah. Like him, my dad, my other uncle in a room is like way funnier than any comedian's green room I've ever been in like they're just so funny and that was probably the main exposure I had to comedy and then I didn't really start listening to stand-up or consuming it until I was probably like 17 or 18 outside of that Mm -hmm. you know there was a couple Carlin albums I like listened to but I really started looking at it you know I think around like middle school I I like bought a camera I was like really into making things and I'd kind of go around town and like shoot I remember used to like follow the mailman and like narrate like <laughs> that he was doing crazy shit and and I'd like make these little movies on Windows Movie Maker and then yeah. uh, in high school I was um, really lucky to have this like amazing TV program and learned how to edit and do all this stuff so I knew I like wanted to make stuff and then once I could drive I used to sneak from Jersey and go to UCB Chelsea in New York and see stand up 
And I remember, like, I was, like, 17 when I started going, and I would just see these amazing comics. It it was... I would go to Whiplash. There was this show that they did Monday Mm -hmm. nights in New York at 11. And, uh, you know, my parents would be asleep, or if they were awake, I'd be like, no, I'm just going to my friend Muhammad's house. And (laughs) and then I'd go into the city and, and just... See, it was it was cool. There was like a bunch of bunch of comics that like I really liked. Like I was saw it was like Leo Allen and Sean Patton and Aziz, and it was just really amazing seeing these people. And then like two years later, you'd see them on TV, and yeah, and it was it was kind of amazing, you know. And so, and once you started doing it, I mean, it sounds like you, it was kind of a, the fact that you were going to see comedy may have been a little bit of a secret to your parents what about yeah. when you started actually doing it yourself they knew i was like making stuff you know so they knew i was really interested in it they were always really supportive it was always like oh my god yeah go do it but also like what are you really gonna do mm-hmm. like that that's all it was. it yeah. was it was not don't do it it was oh man that's great it sucks that you're gonna have to stop and like <laughs> make money you know so that yeah. that was always the attitude like do it as long as you can but you have to figure out what you're going to do. And so I, I went to school for political science and economics. Yeah, I was just not a good student. Like, it was not going to happen. <laughs> I yeah. Was, it, yeah, I didn't, I didn't hold up very long. So at some point, they must have realized that you were actually going to go into comedy full-time? Yeah, well, I dropped out of school. I mean, I said I was taking a semester off, mm-hmm. and my dad was like, you know, you're not. He, he, not that he was stopping me, but he was like, if you do, you won't go back. Nobody takes a semester yeah. off. That was his thing. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 it's just a semester. Because at the time, I was taking like an acting program in New York. I was like mm-hmm. doing both. So I was like going to Rutgers in New York, and then I'd go to this acting program in New York. And I was like, let me just finish the acting program. And then I'll go back and I'll, you know, get the poli-sci degree. And it was, like, not taken well, but my dad was like, okay, he really has always let me make my own choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I drop out, and then, like, three weeks later, I booked a pilot because I had been, like, auditioning a bit. Yeah. And so I booked a pilot in New York, and then I shot it in L.A., and then it got picked up. And two months later, I just moved to L.A. I moved to L.A. when I would have been taking finals if I stayed in school. And it was just like this crazy fate thing where it was the only thing that would have got me out here as early as it did Mm -hmm. because I don't know what I would have done, you know. And so it was it was really, really cool. And has your family seen the the show and what do they think of it? Or or if they haven't, are you are you nervous for them to see it? Yeah, well, you know, I'm shooting my stand up special this Sunday. And so I'm going to show them the show after I shoot the special because mm-hmm. I, I think that they will probably have a lot to say. I haven't read any of the reviews of my show because yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for the review from my parents. Mm-hmm. Like that's the one mm-hmm. that I'm like, I wonder what what they are going to think. And I just didn't want to show them anything because I really I care about what they think. And so I didn't want to be influenced by how they reacted. Even their silence would have been like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like I don't want I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I don't want them to because the show takes a lot of swings, mm-hmm. and even for them, I didn't want to put them in a situation where like they have to feel the anxiety of like what are people going to think. Like I didn't want them to live in the purgatory of pre TV show coming out, you know, because mm-hmm. because they they'd have to just be like oh man what are people like the anxiety that comes with it. They would have felt it for me because they care about me. Yeah, and so waiting until now is kind of like the best uh, plan. And will you watch it with them, or will you just give it to them to to watch on their own? Oh, I will give it to them, and yeah, as I'm getting on a flight somewhere, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure I don't even have phone reception, yeah, ideally. Coming up after the break, Rami Youssef talks about the episode of his new show that combines masturbation with 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business, like that. Let's put it online and see what happens. Stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout. Stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe. Stage. This. One's going to Thailand, and that wait, did we just hit a million orders? Stage. Whatever your stage, businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for your one dollar a month trial at Shopify.com/listen. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? What was in Al Capone's vault, or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay because you can learn it all on the new podcast WikiHole from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of the last laugh, Darcy Carden, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you will learn that's the sciency term for eardrum. Wikihole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections, until everyone wonders how the hell did we get here? Follow Wikihole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to Wikihole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. One episode that I think is likely to get some attention is the, I believe it's episode four, which is the flashback to on and around September 11th, 2001, and your character as a young adolescent, and it kind of combines 9-11 with your character discovering masturbation. Yeah. So can you talk about where that idea for that episode came from? And, and you know, obviously without spoiling anything, why you wanted to tell that specific story? Yeah. I think it was like two years ago or something I was on stage. The Laugh Factory has these like midnight shows and sometimes it's like the best show you've ever been on. It's like a concert and people mm -hmm. are up and then sometimes it is the quietest thing ever. <laughs> and I really love the quiet nights there. And I was on stage and I was just talking about that time and, and it kind of connected to me that man, like 9-11 and me jerking off for the first time happened in like the same year. <laughs> you know, like it was like, I don't know, I was in fifth grade and then like in sixth grade I'm like you're like discovering yourself and you're like you want a girlfriend all of a sudden and wow all these things happen at the same time and you know being in Jersey so close to it and I mean I one of my first stand-up bits was like you know the name of the first World Trade Center bomber is Ramzi Youssef everyone thought we were related including mm. me like like <laughs> that's that's the fear that was like the root fear and so I was just thinking a lot about that time and and I think that when these things happen, we don't really talk about how it affects kids. And this show in 10 episodes, the only time we talk about terrorism is in that episode because mm -hmm. I was really only interested in exploring it from the vantage point of a kid. And I kind of was like, well, okay, cool. What if we looked at those themes? And a big part of this show is just trying to say, hey, we're humans 
Because I think a lot of people only know us defined by our headlines. And so what is the most human thing that could be happening under one of the most devastating headlines? And, and what would it look like if those things happened at the same time? And so that was the seed of it, of the idea. And then it you know incorporates a lot of surreal elements and stuff that I had been wanting to do for a while. And and so, yeah, that episode is like really personal to me, obviously. And it's the, it's the one, you know, I'm not in it. Yeah. And so I got to direct it, which was great. Yeah. It was really fun to get to play there. And in terms of your own experience, you know, being a fifth, sixth grader when all that was happening and being in New Jersey, I mean, what was what was that like for you? Is it, I mean, I'm sure it's reflected somewhat in this episode, but mm-hmm. just from, from your own personal perspective, what was that like? I think it's just like a lot of anxiety. It's a lot of, again, it's weird to be afraid of yourself and where you come from. And I think ultimately it did this thing where it probably started the nature of my introspective feelings towards myself you know Mm -hmm. like I like my favorite part about comedy is that me interrogating myself and if I think back truly I was probably in fifth grade kind of interrogating myself and interrogating my family and being like you know people are saying this is because of us is that true you know and and that's just a very kid thing to think you know as an adult you can rationalize it as a child you just you already don't fit in you know like you're already there's already all these things going on and so at the time it's like now you sit with a therapist and you're like oh man I was really anxious last month I didn't think I was but I was And it's the same thing. At the time, you don't realize how much you're internalizing. So I don't think, like, I would have characterized my time as a kid then as, like, horrifying or really depressing. I mean, I think I was—I probably felt like I was as scared as anyone else. But, you know, you step a couple of years forward and you look back and you're kind of like, oh, that was— pretty intense. There were a lot of emotions going on there and just the way that I viewed the world. And at the time, I think I was just like really worried yeah. and really, you know, and really cared a lot. Um, but you've been able to take some of those experiences, whether it's that or Trump's Muslim ban and, and really make comedy out of it in a way that you don't see too often, at least, you know, from Muslim comics. So how did you kind of start to go about this is part of what I want my, my comedy to be about? It comes from like not wanting to be afraid. So it's like, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to feel afraid. I don't want to feel anxious. I also don't want to make fun of what's happening. Mm -hmm. But there's something here. You know, there's something to this thing that is terrible that, and I think what I look at a lot too is my privilege within those situations, right? Because even for me, I'm not somebody who, a lot of my experience of being someone who's Muslim is I'm not visibly Muslim. You know, I think Mm -hmm. people look at me and I could be hipster from ex hipster town. Like it doesn't really, you know, I don't present. it's like a second layer thing. And so I'm aware of that. And because of that, I, I'm not going to talk about being profiled or stereotyped or any of those things. Right. I'm more interested in what profiling and stereotyping do I do? What are my hypocrisies? How am I experiencing this thing? And so if I could be an anchor point of just human emotion around these things, then we can maybe even bring, you know, just a little bit of light to the humanity of the people who go through the other side of these things and and aren't really talked about. In terms of the stereotyping, though, I'm curious if that came up at all when you were starting out as an actor, because, you know, I think we've all heard a lot of stories about what it's like to be, you know, a young Arab yeah, or, you know, actor with an Arab name and the kind of parts that you get they offered. Would, they would bring me in for all those and they'd be so disappointed. They'd just be like, <laughs> why does this guy look Jewish? Like, they would be like, what's going, what's happening? Like, And I would be upset and I'd go home and be like, oh man, they didn't, I wasn't terroristy enough to be the terrorist. It wasn't even like I had some integrity of not yeah. wanting to do it. I was like, I just I couldn't, they wouldn't cast me. Yeah, that wasn't your lane. <laughs> 
So I, I want to talk about your stand-up as well, because I got to see you run your hour uh, at UCB a couple weeks ago. Um, oh, you were there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, cool. And it was it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. So that was sort of part of your preparation for this new special um, yeah. that you're taping on HBO. I mean, that's a big deal. <laughs> I'm excited, man. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I mean, so much of the backbone of the show is stand-up. And I guess having seen the show and seen the hour, you can see the overlap. It's not a ton because I, I kind of am like trying to a lot of I burned a lot of stand up material in the show. And mm-hmm. so I tried to write new stuff for the hour. I just stand up is my favorite thing. Like it, it making this again, like I said, making the show is the laugh two years later. Yeah. I love like being in the room and just really feeling it out. And so and to getting to do it at a place that it, like HBO is so yeah. Awesome. Like, I'm so excited to do it there. Yeah, I feel really lucky with, like, the two partners that I've been able to do stuff with. Like, Hulu is, like, kind of a dream. You know, we we were really close to doing it with FX, but there was something about doing it with Hulu that was, like, you know, and I love FX. I would love to go do something with them, too. But, you know, it was it was just at the time I was like, oh, this is cool. They don't – they really want to do this. You know, like, I, mm-hmm. they, they just, like, want new comedy. You know, and FX, like, has Atlanta, has Louie, and – to be mm-hmm. part of that would be like would have been so cool but then you get to go somewhere that like doesn't and they're really excited and they just yeah there's just like a different level of like energy and championing behind it and so I just feel really lucky to be there and then HBO is like dope man there's like they're doing five specials this year it's like in the sea of That's comedy yeah. you know it's kind of fun to just be there and and just yeah it's it's I'm, I'm really um yeah, I'm really excited about it. So what have you, how the preparation's been going? You've been running the hour a lot and what, how are, how have the audience has been and just what's that experience been like? Yeah, it's been really, I was just in, um, in Spokane mm-hmm. this weekend, Spokane, Washington. I had a really good time. I mean, we did, I did three shows there and one of them in particular was just so interesting because it was like, I didn't, I was in Seattle. So I ran it in Seattle. Seattle was amazing. Crowd was like New York. It's like a New York, L.A. crowd. Spokane is like more Idaho yeah. than anything. I mean, it's like right on the border there. And the reactions from the crowd to a lot of my material were so different than a New York, L.A. thing. And and so it turned into this like argumentative kind of thing. I mean, people were like actively booing. But then like between active boos and like big like laughs so there'd be like a big yeah. laugh and then like a minute later it's like boo like actually boo and I really liked it though because it I have fun like kind of dropping the material and just kind of getting into it and yeah. and figuring out and I've actually built a lot of bits from having a show where I tanked like it was just like I mm-hmm. bombed but Later that night, I was like, oh, man, the beginning of that conversation with that woman when I, like, abandoned the material, that's, like, the bit I want to do now. And, and is the booing more about them just disagreeing with, with what you're saying? Or what do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think I actually think that they liked me. They just didn't like what I was saying. It was really funny because <laughs> I was, like, talking to one of the people afterwards and, and she was like, she's like, you seem sweet, but that was some bullshit. You know, like, that kind of <laughs> thing. And, like, she, like, wasn't into what I was talking about. And I like that stuff, though. I mean, like, I, I feel... Like at a comedy club, it's one of the few places where you, people aren't on their phones and you can kind of have a conversation that you wouldn't have somewhere else. And, and it, it's really fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to burn the uh, joke or, or make you tell it here. But there is there's a joke that you tell about 9-11 as well in your hour that yeah. uh, I think I could imagine gets uh, some interesting reactions around around the world. But it seems like you embrace the awkwardness as well. I mean, that's something you I think you have in common with Gerard Carmichael I mean, in terms of liking the quiet rooms or like. Right. The, uh, 
like embracing that kind of that uncomfortableness as well. Do you do you think that's true? Well, that's I think that's how we both became friends is that we both like talking to people. So it's like the comedy part of it is is the part that comes after liking to talk to people. So of course I want it to be funny and like that's my job, but there is this real love for like just getting to be in conversation. And so I lead with the point of how I'm feeling. So this way, even if it doesn't land, it's like, well, at least, you know, you know how I feel about something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but the punchline's there, you know, it's like it's coming and, and, and I work really, you know, I, I love finding that, but that's something that we both really connect on, which is, it's okay. It's all right. It's fine. Like if it sits a little oddly and there is something even really more fun about that. And, and, and that's something that I think hits over to the show too. I mean, I think that somebody was talking about the show and online someone said something and they were like oh man the show someone had seen some episodes and and they were like i don't they seem to like not really be into it a little bit but they were like they're like oh it made me just feel uneasy and i was like yeah well that's good (laughs) i mean like that's kind of that's great like i'm not it's the point isn't to like make something that brings a resolution or provides an answer i think like going to comedy for answers is really dangerous i think about this all the time with like like john stewart and the daily show yeah loved him like i i I would watch him in high school and and i was like oh man this dude is like sticking up for muslims and and he's like he's telling the truth and and then it became this thing where people were like i don't get my news from the news i get it from john stewart and the daily show which is really beautiful for what he did it also fucks up comedy because it makes it this thing where it's like there's this expectation to go to comedy for your truths and for your justice Mm -hmm. and that's not the point that's not what this is about it's not the whole point of comedy is that it's not correct and you see a lot of comedians like rallying against political correctness yeah there's nuances to that conversation a lot of times it's someone just wanting to say the n-word for no real reason right. or a lot of times it's someone just like being lazy about not writing a joke but the true part to it is is that it shouldn't comedy shouldn't be correct it should just be emotionally correct so it shouldn't be like factually correct it shouldn't be like maybe correct in how you treat someone or this or that but like it should be about real feelings and real emotions in the subconscious And so that, I think, is the only job that it should set out to do. And if that leaves you with an uneasy feeling, that's good. And I, I, I like that. Yeah, I mean, and and for something to be funny in a way, it has to be a little bit unexpected. So if you're just seeing somebody say what you already agree with or what you you yeah. know what you think, then that's not gonna that's not necessarily gonna be funny. Right, but I do believe that comedy has been put in this place where that is what people think it is. I think people go out to a show to hear like a collection of their own Facebook comments said <laughs> by somebody into a mic. Like they yeah. want to just hear you shit on Trump. They want to just hear you say that this is what the world should look like and maybe you give it a little bit of a punch you know Mm -hmm. but like it's tricky and that's why I really appreciate going to Spokane and being on the border where a bunch of people voted for Trump it's not even like even just in terms of a comedy show like it was fucking fun and and like even though they didn't like what I was saying (laughs) like it was it got rough and all that and it was cool sometimes you're in LA and if you are not saying the most like on point thing and using the correct like like people will just like lose their shit in a way that is uh is worse than the booze in Spokane because the booze in Spokane were kind of like hey man fuck you the booze Mm -hmm. in LA are like a silent I am so much better than you and a silent like you are inferior (laughs) and ignorant and you deserve to be canceled and you shouldn't have a career and like all this shit the people in Spokane just boo you and they'll either hang out and drink more or they'll leave there's just differences in, in how that plays out Coming up, 
Rami Youssef on his family's unlikely relationship with Donald Trump. So one other thing I learned from your stand-up is that your dad actually worked for Trump at somewhere in the in the <laughs> 90s. What's that all about? Yeah, my dad worked at one of his hotels. Yeah. So it was really interesting because it's like we, my dad knew him. My dad knew his family. And and so he, he kind of saw the way that he did business. And, and it's funny because I, I think... I think my dad enjoyed working for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think I don't know that my dad saw all of the things that, you know, we now see. I think that people are good at hiding parts of themselves or I don't know that Trump ever tried to hide it. I mean, I think Trump publicly has always been a certain way. Yeah. But the interesting thing that I really understood from my dad was kind of like, yeah, the dude would come in, he kind of bust balls and whatever and this and that and but like, you know, we all got vacation, and we all got like, you know, this and that and pay. and my dad, he started working at that hotel like very shortly after he got his citizenship. And so it's less even about how Trump acted at that time or whatever that relationship was. To me the interesting thing is just like I know for a fact that this guy's life is possible because of people like my dad. That immigrants are the backbone of his businesses. And though we don't know how much those businesses actually make, they are a big part of how he's gotten to where he's at. And so it's not even about, is he a nice guy? Is he a this? Is he a that? It's the the people that he is trying to completely exclude from the conversation and dehumanize are the ones that have provided him with even the smallest shreds of legitimacy that he has. Mm-hmm. And so just that that fact has always been as he's ascended the way that he has it's just baffling to me yeah. <laughs> just because I know it yeah how has that experience either um, colored either your or your dad's thoughts about Trump now that he's president I mean my dad was just like really disappointed I mean I remember he was just kind of like oh, Donald <laughs> he was just like he's like this is awful you know and and Obviously, he never supported him when he was running or anything like that. I mean, I think the second he started running, he was just kind of like, oh, man, what's going on here? Yeah. Because I think my dad sometimes would be like, I think he's a better guy than this. Why is he doing this? You know, like, <laughs> like, he, like he, he just like didn't want to believe it. And for me, it just complicated it. I like very much think his presidency is really dangerous. I think he continues to make that clear. I think even his supporters are very confused. You know, I mean, even... When I was in Spokane the other night, I was like, are you guys, like, on board with all this? Like, for real, for real? <laughs> and the dude was just like, hey, man, you know, it's, uh, pros and cons. Like, like that. that's, yeah. like, kind of where he, you know, they know. You know, there isn't this, like, I don't think there's as much blind love as we think there is. I know there's factions or whatever. It's just, it's super dangerous. And But I think knowing that fact probably as I first started to talk about him, it just complicated it in a way for mm-hmm. me. And, and that's kind of what I, not complicated in the clarity of what was going on with him, but almost like I wanted my approach to be complicated in how I talked about him because I think just the straight up attack on him is, it's just boring yeah. on a certain level. And I found, I, I do this bit about him that even in a place like Spokane where like they were so for him, People were laughing and people were like, yeah, that's true. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like there's, 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 I think there's a way to talk about it. And, but yeah, it, it's just knowing really just that, that fact of like, man, dude, like I, my dad worked for you and like <laughs> did like so much, like so much for that family. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. In the show, we uh, we see some of your relatives in support of the Muslim ban, which is which your character doesn't quite understand. Is that based on real conversations you've had with people? Yeah, you know, the family in the show is pretty 
the good thing is I think when my family watches the show, they'll be like, oh, this isn't our family. Right. I mean, it's it's very much, you know, an amalgamation of a lot of people in the community. But um, when I went to Cairo around the elections, I was baffled by how many people were like, no, he's a strong man. You know, like he'll... And, yeah. and it's and it's because we're, you know, our countries, a lot of the ones that we come from are, you know, have had dictatorships. And so maybe we're just used to the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> where it's kind of like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what we're familiar with, this feeling, you know. And I think a lot of it comes with that. I think that there's an element of, like, people not understanding, you know, a woman being present, whatever it might have been. But there were a couple conversations I had where I was like, fuck, people really feel like this, huh? And, you know, it happens all over. I mean, it's like it's it's happening all over the world, right? I mean, Israel just reelected Netanyahu. Like, it's like how it's a thing that's happening, and so yeah, that is I think the only conversation we have about Trump in the show mm-hmm. <laughs> is um, some family <laughs> members in Cairo who uh, call him a strong man. Yeah. So I think whenever there's a you know a show that hasn't even come out yet, it's hard to talk about you know what comes next. Um, but I'm curious, you know, since you said you you made the character of Rami a little stuck, a little sort of what had happened if you hadn't gotten to where you are now. If you do get a chance to make more of this show, where do you see the, the character moving and evolving? And do you think, you know, can you imagine him getting into comedy and sort of trying to tell that story? Or, or have you thought about that at all? Yeah, I've thought about it. Comedy will never be a part of the show. Hmm. We would joke, actually, that in the alternate universe of the Rami show, there is no such thing as stand-up comedy. <laughs> it's not even a form of... Uh, <laughs> um, I, it's something I'm not interested in exploring on screen. I, yeah. I, I think part of what we're trying to do is be as universal as possible um, while being really specific and the way to do that is like obviously focusing on the human condition but I don't think anybody gives a fuck about like oh man this open mic you know like, like, yeah. like I don't think there's any genuine tension like I don't think people all over the world can be like oh I hope people like his joke you know like it's <laughs> like it's, it's it's not you know it just doesn't feel yeah it doesn't feel like something that, that we would do here but I'm, yeah I'm really excited to like step the character out of you know, where he's at, where he's, he lives at home and he's in his late twenties, you know? And so something as small as even just moving out will, and even if that sounds like a little cliche on its face, there's a lot of spaces of what it looks like when you move out and separate yourself from a family like this one. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of consequences to that and it affects a lot of things. And And I'm really excited to see a lot of the other characters grow. And, and you know, you've seen the show. We really take time to focus on those other characters and yeah. step away from mine. And, and so there's a lot of things to, to track. And it's the idea of doing a second season would be so exciting because we're not laying groundwork anymore. It's like it's all there. And then now we're really like we can have fun. You know, you know who these people are and we can really get into it. Yeah. So before we wrap up, what I like to do is kind of go through some of a few milestones in your career that we didn't get to talk about um, and get some quick just sort of first memory or story that comes to mind about that experience. So the first would be the first time you got on stage to do stand up. Oh, yeah. I was in New York, Eastville Comedy Club. It was, I think, Anna Dresden was a comedian. She had a show and I had like written a couple things down and maybe I had done a mic, but like this was like the kind of this is kind of the first show I remember 
And I went on stage, and I was so in my head that I forgot to take my backpack off. And I just, I did stand up with a backpack on. And then I got off, and then Sabrina Jalise went on and did like a three minute impression of me <laughs> doing everything in my life with a backpack on. Like she started like miming me fucking, but with a backpack <laughs> on. And it was really, I was like horrified. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, that's also really funny. I don't remember what year that was. That must have been like, that probably was like 2011 or something, 2010, yeah. 2011. And then I, then I probably like didn't do it for a couple months and then <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned this but your first big tv role was on the sitcom Sea uh, dad run yeah which uh, starred scott Bayo. yeah um this is probably before we knew he was a, a trump supporter <laughs> so what was that experience like yeah man those were the days when i knew him as a romney supporter you know uh, which yeah, is a, a yeah. much more <laughs> i mean those are the good old days yeah it was an amazing experience doing that show it was i just had like the best time everyone was like cast crew Scott, everyone was awesome. Just like really, really cool. And and yeah, man, it's I mean, it's shocking with with him. I wouldn't say shocking, but it's just the way, you know, sometimes people like publicly put on a really good face and privately are like pretty terrible. And he's someone where the things he does and says publicly, I can't even connect to the person that I know privately. Mm-hmm. He's someone who like was really, really good to me and like, you know, I've feel like I have a good relationship with him. And and he was someone who, like, advocated for me. I mean, he was the star of the show. I was, like, a brand-new person out of nowhere. And there were times where he would be like, can you give Rami better scene than this? Like, like truly, like, just, like, fought for... I think I was, like, a recurring, and he was like, no, he should be a series regular. Like, stuff that, like, impacted my life, you yeah. know? And, and so... And at the same time, the stuff he says in a front-facing way and publicly and a lot of those things are um, couldn't be further than what I think and, and there are things that I think are dangerous and those are there lies the complications <laughs> so I think you had your TV stand up debut on Colbert is that right yes which is awesome and you can go find that on YouTube uh, and watch it so what was that experience like oh, it was amazing man I mean it was a really cool thing it was also this kind of interesting thing because the you prep your set and there's like a transcript of it and then they look at it and they approve it and at some point I guess it was like the night before I got a call and they were like hey so one of these jokes we're, that we're not comfortable with <laughs> you can't really say and it's this joke where you know I talk about believe in God and then I say that everyone should submit to Islam. And so, it's like the, I mean, the way it plays out in the clip is it's a joke that I'd been doing and I knew it worked, but all they had at CBS was like the script and they were like, wait, he's saying what? He's doing what? <laughs> you got to pull it. And so they called me the night before. And also at this time too, this was like when Trump had called out Colbert. It was like Trump had this like sit yeah, down and yeah, he like yeah. went for Colbert and the show I was on was the day after. So they were like, like he literally, Trump was like, the FCC's got look into Colbert and then I'm performing (laughs) on Colbert and they're like what the fuck is going on and so I get this call and they're like you gotta pull it or you can't come tomorrow and I'm like okay I'll pull it sure whatever I didn't have any intention to do that but I was like let's talk in person like I feel like if we can see each other and so I got there and you know I'm talking to the producer and and you know he's a valid concern this sounds crazy I mean Mm -hmm. this is like you know and I was like hey man you know I, I respect what you're saying but like I can't do this set if I don't have it's the closer of the set I've been working on the set for a month you yeah. know like and so he was like so uncertain about it and, and, and I was like alright how about this like we um, if it doesn't go well just don't air it show's not live and he was like let's see what happens okay let's see what happens <laughs> and, and so I know he did it and then and you know and he came back and he was like he's like I love to be wrong I just 
I still think we're going to be okay. I really do. Because I believe in God. Like, like God, God. Not yoga. But. And I know that's a weird thing to say. I get it. You know, religious culture can be crazy. I don't agree with all of it. I grew up in a town where I watched my gay friends struggle to come out to the religious community. And now I live in L.A., where I'm a religious person struggling to come out to the gay community <laughs> and tell them what I think. And they're just like, you believe in God? Dude, that's so gay. <laughs> I just, for me, God is hope that there's more to life than what's in front of us. You know, that even if things seem impossible, there's still a chance that it could be okay. And I'm not trying to be preachy. I'm really not. Like, all I'm trying to say is just, just submit to Islam because it's the truth. And that's the only way you'll be saved. Seriously, that's the only way. Trust me. It was so amazing to do it on that show. I love Colbert. I mean, I think he's like, I think he's the best and he's, he's just so awesome. And I'm doing his show next week. Oh, awesome. So I'm really excited to like actually be in conversation with him this time. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool. That was like two, that was two years ago, like this week. Wow. You know, it, it was, yeah. And then the last one that I wanted to hit was uh, appearing on Mr. Robot with your fellow Egyptian-American actor, Rami Malek. Yes. How did that kind of happen, and, and what was that like? Oh, man, it was so cool. I mean, I, I got the audition. You know, I, I was living in L.A., but I got the audition while I was in New York, and they were like, hey, can you put yourself on tape? Because they thought I was in L.A., but I was like, no, no, I'm in New York. Like, I want to go in. And, and, um, and so they hadn't been seeing anyone for that role yet, but they like were like, okay, cool, you can come since you're here. I'd only had the sides for like a couple of hours, and I just went in and did it. And then I forgot about it. I was like, okay, cool. And then like a month later, they were like, hey, you got the thing. And I was like, <laughs> fuck, this is so cool. And because and, it was a show that I really loved. And it was, honestly, it was very inspiring too, because it's like, you know, Sam Ismail and Rami are both Egyptians, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and so it was cool to see them just killing it. I mean, Sam was such a cool director and Rami's obviously like amazing and like the dynamic that we got to play in the show was really fun. It was for a show that doesn't, Sam's really good at employing comedy. It doesn't call itself a comedy, but like he has these, every season he has like a character or like a thing that, mm -hmm. you know, brings that. And so to get to do that for the season that I was on and be a part of that was, it was really cool. It was, I got to be in this one episode that they did, to, they shot it to look like a one-er. And so it, the work that they did to yeah. nail that on a technical level was really cool. And I loved it too, because it kind of was this like this rush of like stand up energy where you're like, oh shit, like, okay, they've been coming around the corner yeah, for the last three minutes. Up. By the time, <laughs> do not fuck it up by the time it comes. And, and so sometimes like you're doing acting, and you're like, ah, oh, I can nail this, whatever. But yeah. this was, I was like, oh shit, I gotta yeah. get this down right. Otherwise, all these people who don't know me are gonna hate me and they're <laughs> gonna be like, fucking bootleg Rami. We fucked up the shot. We, we only like our Rami. Um, and so I knew some shit was gonna be talked. And so, no, it was, it was really fun. Finally, I like to end the show by asking, What's the last thing that made you laugh really hard? It could be a movie, it could be a TV show, stand-up, something that just happened in your life. First thing that comes to mind. <laughs> I love memes. I love, like, online shit, actually. Like, And there's this guy, Nathan Plywe. I, I don't know how to say his last name, but he does this um, Instagram account called Strange Planet. And it's like... 
aliens doing really basic human things. <laughs> and and it's just, it's so funny the way he like breaks stuff down. And, and so I, a really good friend of mine passed earlier this year, my friend Kevin Barnett, who, who you know, I'm sure you, yeah, yeah. you know, know of. And, and so we, our thing was like memes, like we like fucking loved memes. And so like we were constantly have like, long like I remember having like a three hour conversation about why a meme was better than like the best stand up bit (laughs) you know like we just went into it like it's because you get to see the visual and it's one statement it's like it's the economy of a perfect joke but you also get to see like the emotion in the eyes but then you can just send it and you know I mean it was just like this whole like thing and so I've been like dying you know just like cracking up looking at these things and thinking about him but also like this this account is like really it's really amazing yeah all right. Well, ch- everyone check that out. Yeah, uh, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Rami, thank you so much for uh, for coming out today. Oh, man, thanks for having me. This is really fun. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Hope you enjoyed that throwback episode with Rami Youssef. I'll be rooting for him at the Emmys next weekend. In the meantime, please help us out by giving this podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you for an all-new episode next week.